Hi, I'm Kate. And I'm Lori. We've always thought that the most compelling story strikes the perfect balance between an honest look at the mess of life and the humor that can be found in the mess. To be perfectly honest, we don't really know how to live life without both the humor and the authenticity. Our podcast might be a little bit of whiplash at times. We can spin from hard and deep to humor and laughing on a dime. The hard will be really hard and the truths we share are the ugliest of humanity. We don't intend to make it seem like it's all fine or to pretty up the pain, but we also know that the joy we found is all the more profound because of the pain. So we hope you can stick with us through the ugly because there will also be joy and hope and humor. Welcome to the ugly truth about the girl next door. Hi, welcome back to our podcast, The Ugly Truth About the Girl Next Door. I'm Kate. And I'm Lori. And today we are here with a very special guest. Um, we are joined by Miranda from The Second Wound. So if you've been following our social medias for really since the beginning, I, you know, we have been posting, uh, reposting a lot of Miranda's content. Um Honestly, I'm I'm so excited to have her on today. So Miranda, please introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about yourself um, and who you are. I'd be happy to. Hi, Kate and Lori. Thank you so much for hosting me today. Um, so my name is Miranda Pacchiana, and I am a survivor of child sexual abuse. I'm also a social worker, and I work as a personal coach, a writer, a host of a podcast called Truth and Consequences. And as you referred to, I created a platform and a website called The Second Wound to share information and education and compassion to fellow survivors of trauma, especially sexual trauma, who have dealt with re-victimization um, from anyone, but especially with friends and family and people in their inner circle this was my personal experience. It was very upsetting and confusing for me. And so I set out to find out a lot more and share it with other people. And I'm really gratified to know that it resonated with you, Kate, and that you found it valuable because that's what I'm here for. Yeah, truly. I am like a little bit fangirling today. I have been reading your stuff for over a year. And, um, I remember when I first kind of stumbled upon your website, just feeling this weight of like, oh my gosh, like I'm not alone in this. Like I'm not crazy. The, the reality of what happened in the aftermath, the reality of, um, the church's responses, my, my brother and sister-in-law's responses, um, is like a real thing that is, that is very, very difficult. Um, so it I just known and right. Like, it's this known. Is not yeah. It felt so validating to feel like, yeah, it's not me. This is a real thing that happens. Um, exactly. Yeah. So and yet, I just want to comment, like we tend to act like we're surprised when it, like when, when it becomes, when we become aware of it, we're surprised, but it's been happening forever and it happens right. to lots and lots of people. But again, who's talking about it except Miranda? Yay, Miranda. <laughs> well, I'm not the only one, but thank you. It is sort of my life mission. Um, you're right. It happens with, you know, it happens culturally. It happens through all kinds of um, organizations politically. But what I mostly talk about is how incredibly painful it is to have your own loved ones either deny or minimize your pain and what it means and how long lasting it is and what you need. So 
it is just such a confusing and devastating experience that I know firsthand. Um, and I have so many clients that I talk with regularly and people who follow my work who tell me their stories. So I've learned a lot over the years and I'm happy to share it. So tell us what the second wound is. Like, what is the basis mm -hmm. of, of your work and where that started? So the second wound is revictimization. It is shockingly prevalent, as we said. It's very, very painful. It's persistent. Um, and it isn't talked about much, especially publicly. So when you do um, talk about your experiences or disclose to the people in your life, some of the most common responses that fit into this second wound experience are disbelief. You know, I don't believe that that actually happened to you or not the way you said. Um, or people do believe it and they act like it doesn't matter. Or they might say it matters. I'm so sorry, but then behave in ways that completely belie that, like inviting you to a holiday with the person who abused you, for example. I expect you to be fine with that. Yeah, you yeah. know, like let's just all make nice. We get it. It it was upsetting, but like we still are <laughs> going to have Thanksgiving, right? So, yeah. um, so that's minimization of our trauma. And I always tell survivors, you are the only authority on what happened to you, what you need, and how you feel about it. You, you're the authority. Because let me tell you, that has to be said, and I know you both know this, that is not how we're treated. We're told um, this is how we see it. We don't think it's as bad as you said. We think there are these mitigating circumstances. Or, or you know what? We get it you dealt with it now. Can we move on? Mm -hmm. Like, can't you forgive and let go? Because it'll be better for you. It'll be better for everybody. Yeah. How many right. times have we heard that? Yes. yes. How many times has every survivor heard that though? Yeah. Right. I mean, this yeah. is like you said, not like a new phenomenon. It's just that it's, it's for survivors who haven't heard someone say that to them. It is yeah. this feeling of like, Oh my God, like, yes. And also mm -hmm. like, yeah, the fact that it's out there. Um, and how is it still going on when there is, as you said, Miranda, there's so much out there about how impactful and re-traumatizing re it is for people to not respond well to a disclosure. Mm -hmm. How on yes. earth is it still going on? And we act like, oh, wait, um, there's a way I'm supposed to, I, I didn't know what to say. Mm -hmm. Well, I think it reflects, you know, how little emphasis and understanding we put on survivors' experiences. Um, and there's a lot of reasons for that. Um, so I will go on with my list a little bit. I, I think the next thing that a lot of us experience is, and I referred to this a little bit in talking about, you know, being invited to the family event, um, is ostracism, is well, you you don't have to come to Thanksgiving, but it's up to you. I'm not going to disinvite this person. Mm -hmm. So either, you know, you come and confront your drama at a family holiday or you get left out. Yep. Um, that's a pretty rotten choice. That's not fair. So that is really painful. Um, another thing that is a really big one is the scapegoating. So one of the banners that you'll see when you open up the second wound website that comes across it is you are not a troublemaker. You are a truth teller. Mm. 
Yeah, yes. that's huge. That's honestly huge. Um, yeah, it actually got me emotional just saying it right now. And it's on my own website. Go on, Kate. Yeah, no, the the amount of guilt and blame and um, responsibility that is placed on the survivor is really loud <laughs> Yeah, um, in all facets, right? Um, dealing with the churches, which, you know, uh, we, we talk about all the time, the church's response to it the the responsibility to uh do it right and to um fix it for everybody else is huge and that's not fair <laughs> well one thing i hear a lot referencing what you're saying about doing it right a lot of people say well you know when you told us about it you did it wrong <laughs> right yes. i hear that a lot from my clients Sorry, Lori, what'd you say? Oh, you were too angry or you didn't seem upset or. Exactly. You're too this or you're not enough that. And what I try to tell people is these are just um, fill in the blanks. You know, here's the reason that mitigates why I can't really support you. And people come up with all kinds of answers and they believe them often themselves when they give you this excuse. But really, that's just baloney. It's yeah. really that they're struggling for their own reasons with supporting you the way that they need to. So um, I hope that explaining that takes a little bit of the blame off of survivors when they hear these things and they scramble to try to understand and explain. You know, I don't think your explanation is really going to get through because it's not really about how you behaved. And that is a lot of what happens to scapegoats in the family. Um, I mean, I call it you know, a backwards upside down world where people aren't as upset about someone traumatizing you as they are about you talking about it and yeah. continuing yeah. to talk about it and saying, okay, well now I need to bring up the implications. Is this person safe? What about minors in the vicinity? Okay. In the family or in the church or wherever it is. Um, people who don't want to deal with it, you know, they might be able to go along with you a little bit at first, but once you stay on this track and you're bringing up all these angles that need to continue to be addressed, you're going to get pushback if people aren't in it with you. Absolutely. Yeah. No, I'm honestly, we get that all the time, just in doing what we're doing and that it's like, people are with us until they're not, until it hits too close to home or it, make, it forces them to do something different about it, right? That's the, the experience with the churches. Like, okay, like we believe you, but also like we're not willing to remove people from our building to protect children. Um, and like, why are you still talking about this? Like, you know, <sighs> like I'm still talking about it because you still have offenders in your building. I'm still talking about it because you haven't wow. done anything to make it better. Um but yeah, the, the onus is placed back on us, on me. And uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it's like when you're in it, you kind of just can't believe it's happening because it's so backwards and upside down. And if you truly care about the safety of kids, just to start there, then how can you overlook this? You really can't, even if it's inconvenient, even if you're going to get backlash, even if it's messy, even if it takes money away from your church and it gets your church in the headlines, uh, that's all worth it, right? 
Yeah. Right. Right. And absolutely. You could also be in the headlines saying this is an organization that handled this well, that it was a messy part of their history, but they stood up and showed up and made sure that they made things right and kept people safe. Yeah. Exactly. And I think the problem is, uh, you know, it, it, there's no one problem, but you're talking about a church, often same thing with a family. There's power dynamics there. There's hierarchies. You know, people don't want to shake that up. Absolutely. And there are favored ones, right? Often in oh, family, yeah. there are the golden children, whether Absolutely. it's an organization, a church, a family. Mm-hmm. And yep. let's just put it out there. It's more men and boys than it is women and girls, right? Yep. That's a big part of it. Oh, yeah. Yes. Absolutely. So another one, and some of these things, even long after I started the second wound, I began to learn more of these angles through my own experiences. Um, I continue to learn and understand more. But another big one is what I call the smear campaign. Mm -hmm. So um, people who are uncomfortable with you telling this truth will often start to call you crazy. (laughs) that poor person, that poor woman, she's not well. Um, she's mentally ill. She's hysterical. She's a drama queen. She's overreacting. Um, yeah, maybe something happened, but it wasn't that bad. Yeah. We've heard that one before. (laughs) Maybe she kind of went along with it. Mm -hmm. Right. Things like that, that we do all hear. Why didn't she yell louder? Why didn't she tell sooner? Why, why didn't she? Yes. Again, exactly. Yeah, the current um the current narrative at Cornerstone Church on Grand Island is uh well we we believe that something did happen to her, but not in our building and not with our people. So well that's convenient. Isn't it convenient? Right. Yeah. It is the so, most convenient. <laughs> so you're telling the truth about the the main point, but for some reason you're just making up the building and the people. Right. Exactly. Because that makes a ton of sense. And yet somehow people listen to the smear campaign, right? Mm-hmm. There are Because well, they want to believe it. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. So can you talk about that piece a little bit, Miranda, like that people would prefer to believe a convenient lie than an inconvenient truth? Mm, yes. There are a lot of reasons behind it. Um, it, it is really inconvenient. Okay. You, you're shaking up the power dynamic, you're all of a sudden you're making it uncomfortable about who can come for Thanksgiving and who can't, or, um, you know, who is going to have to be asked to leave the church or sued or arrested. Um, this is big shakeups in people's lives that they would really rather not think about. Um, I think that's another part of it is I think people don't want to believe that this is true because it's really devastating and upsetting. Yeah. Um, and I, I could have a little bit of empathy for that, but that's still your responsibility because we have to deal with it. Yep. We all have responsibilities as citizens of our society. Yep. Um, and that happens more so with people who have, I think, who have their own histories they haven't dealt with. Um, whether it happened to them or it happened in their family or someone they love is a perpetrator, maybe they're a perpetrator, maybe they're a bystander and they never did anything. Yeah. So we're touching on some things they really want to just push aside and brush under the rug. Um, 
and it's really, really hurtful. Mm -hmm. And I ask people to think about, you know, what are your, what, what are your morals and values? Are you against child sexual abuse? Are you against sex trafficking? You know, most people would say, of course I am. Right. I'm a good person. Of course I but am. Also, it doesn't happen in my backyard. It, I'm against it, but that happens in Cambodia. I'm yeah. against it, but that happens overseas. That doesn't happen here. Yeah. That's yeah. what yeah. people yeah. would prefer yeah. to think, right? Yeah, when you hear sex trafficking, that's exactly what you think. Or some somebody in a hotel room somewhere with some creepy businessman, right? But what I want people to really think about is that when someone in your church family or extended family comes forward to this, and then you hear other people whispering about how crazy they are. Well, you know what, if you're against hurting kids and you're for protecting kids, you have an obligation to take a second look and really think about this and do something. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. So what other tactics, what other approaches? Well, one thing I would like to mention too is one of the reasons that I believe as someone who has experienced this quite a bit, one of the reasons it's so devastating is because I see it as echoing some of the worst parts of being abused. We were overpowered. Mm -hmm. We were silenced from telling. We were silenced in that moment. Um, and we were shamed. Mm -hmm. We were made to believe we were participating in some ways or just carrying the secret. Yeah. You know, there's so many aspects of it that are shaming and shame is such a corrosive emotion to carry with us all through our childhood. So to then get the strength to address it and try to heal from it <laughs> and have people who are important to us shame us is a really vulnerable place to get hit, mm -hmm. right? And it's effective sometimes in shutting people back up. A lot of times it is. Mm -hmm. And a lot of us have repeatedly had to st stand up again and say, okay, well, that didn't work. That felt terrible, but I'm still going to try. Yep. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. The repeated, you know, get, get knocked down by, we, you know, we talk about this all the time, the, the whiplash feeling of, you know, someone does it wrong, but we still get back up and try again. And then they, that person does it wrong, but we still get back up and try again. Well, and that whiplash between, okay, like I build myself up. I kind of bring people around me who support and encourage me and I get up the, and this is going to be the time this is going to work. I'm strong. I'm empowered. I'm bold. I'm brave. And then bam, I get punched again. And now I'm oof, knocked down. Yeah, absolutely. And so one of the my responses to that is that I learned the hard way and I share this. I think it's really important to keep in mind that, yes, we need to keep expressing ourselves and we need to keep explaining just as the three of us are here today for this audience, but also let's assess when it is in our lives and who it is that more information is not going to help, that we've already explained it. Yep. They're not hearing it for a reason. 
And man, I'm a communicator. Like that is what I do. I am good at it. I wrote emails. I wrote letters. I yelled. I talked quietly and gently. I did therapy. I did everything I could. And some people just couldn't hear me. And I think it is important in, in life in general to be aware of when it's time to start stop explaining and realize that you need to move forward and not waste your breath anymore. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. We've had to learn that the hard way too. <laughs> yeah, Multiple times over. <laughs> I think also yep. being conscious of that when there are current day safety concerns, mm -hmm. that's even harder to do, whether it's safety concerns for other children who Oof, are yeah. in position or for Kate, her own current day safety concerns to again, make the distinction between yeah, I'm done trying to convince you, but I'm not done talking about it. Absolutely. Yeah. We've kind of come to that place of, you know, with, with the chapel or with Cornerstone or with, you know, some of my, the public, yeah, the some public, of the public, right. Is we're done maybe explaining and trying to convince you and trying to, you know, here's more details so that you'll come alongside. Right. There's only, there's a level at which you have to say, okay, I there, right. But it doesn't mean that we stop talking about it. It means that now we just keep pointing out this church still has offenders in their building. This church still is doing it wrong. So if you're a victim of sexual abuse, probably don't disclose there, you know? Wow. Yeah. That's just a really important distinction. I appreciate you saying that. Yeah. Yeah. Bringing awareness to the issue versus trying to bring people alongside to convince them. Those are two really different things. And that's kind of where we find ourselves today, even. Um, and updating people with the facts, like you said, like there are offenders in that building, uh, think twice before you put your child in the daycare. Yeah. Right? And there's going to be people who, right, like you said, you will never, ever convince them. They're going to put their kids in the daycare and they're going to go along their life. And that's their choice to do that. Yeah. But they will never, ever again, be able to say, I didn't know. And that's where we mm -hmm. have to land. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. And I will also say, you know, while you're being aware of not wasting your breath, also don't give up hope because, you know, it's a fine line. I mean, you, I guess you have to remain vulnerable to some extent, but there are people who do come around on occasion. There are people who wake up. You know, just as survivors wake up and that the average age of disclosure of child sexual abuse is 52, which is staggering, yeah. right? I work with lots of clients older than that who are coming to terms and changing their lives in their 50s and 60s, yeah. right? Which is so admirable. People do wake up and I would never bank on it with a particular person, right? But it happens, and yep. sometimes people push us away and hurt us. And then they realize this is true. And maybe they realize it also happened to them. Yep. Right. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. It's messy. And we accept that it's messy. Um, but that doesn't mean standing down either. Right. Absolutely. And I really admire that about both of you. I mean, I think what you're doing is just so admirable and I feel for you because I can see how incredibly difficult it is. Um, but you know what? You, to me, are embodying doing the right thing and being moral. And I think people really do lose sight of what that means. But you don't. 
So thank you. (laughs) Yeah. Thank you for saying that. There are definitely days that it feels like, oh my gosh, like this is exhausting. So yeah. Well, and you get the opposite message, I'm sure. Right. Again, it's backwards and upside down. Yeah. Like you're dishonoring or whatever their baloney, you know, responses are. It's hard not to carry that with you a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. But it's but it's wrong. And in fact, they're not being brave. Right. I mean, my thought has always been, you know, if I'm a person who has been spared this offense and this wound, then I do not have the right to turn away. I have the obligation and the privilege and the honor of standing with. That's just what it should look like. I don't I, I love don't... that. I love that. Um, yeah. And I don't know if a lot of people know that I live in the community of Sandy Hook, Connecticut, and I've lived here through my whole marriage, 30 years in Newtown and most of it in Sandy Hook. And my kids went to Sandy Hook school. Um, they were already out of that school by the time the tragedy happened in 2012. But, you know, obviously our community was devastated by it and still is to some extent and lots of people's lives will never be the same. Um, and I really felt the same way that you just said, Lori, like I was devastated by it, but I was a parent whose kids weren't there. Not only did my kids not die, but they were not horribly traumatized. They were actually horribly traumatized because we all were, but not to the extent that those children were in the building and that my neighbors were dealing with, with their, you know, their friends, kids dying. And, and so I felt exactly the same thing. Like it was my obligation to step up and do something um, and take a stand to try to stop this kind of violence. Um, you know, I think looking back, I wish I had, I had done a little bit less because I see now how much my own kids needed me to, um, it's hard to walk that line, but I do think that's part of being a citizen of a society, right? It's like, we have to take on these causes, especially when they are devastating kids right? or anybody. Yeah, absolutely. I, Yeah. <laughs> So it's about, I think for those of us who are not the survivor directly impacted in this moment to do the hard thing of dealing with our own emotions around whatever it is. So the people who are, you know, perpetrating these second wounds are doing so as a result of their own internal emotional response to whatever information is being put out there. And they're not um, living up to the expectation that they will manage that Mm -hmm. so that they can show up in a way that is meaningful and helpful. Yeah, that's right. And sometimes, you know, sometimes their reasons are pretty flimsy. I mean, sometimes it's like, I think a lot of perpetrators uh, purposely set themselves up in life to have power and to have money and to have influence. And one of the reasons they do that is so they can get away with this stuff. a lot of people are benefiting from that perpetrator and don't want to lose the goodies that they get, um, or even just yeah. the status or the proximity, right? Yep, absolutely. Yeah, all the offenders that we called out from Cornerstone Church, you know, they tithe big money every month, right? They're part of the founding families. They are, and they don't want to lose that. Why would they, right? So it's easier to believe 
the narrative that it wasn't that or it wasn't true than it is to accept that it actually was, which is horrifying. But yeah, I mean, now that you say that, like, of course, that's what happens, right? That makes sense. And yet it's so going against what the church supposedly is for. Or a family, right? To Or a family. The both right. places where this happens. So I just have to pause and comment. People can't see this, but Silas is has pried his way onto the couch <laughs> between Kate and I because he's doing a better job of showing up than a lot of human beings. <laughs> Silas, I bet you Silas has carried a lot of emotion for, for the two of you and helped comfort yes. you through yes. all of it. Yes. He'd pick up on it. Silas. Good job, Silas. <laughs> He's like, I know. <laughs> we have two dogs too, and they definitely come over when they feel agitation and want to get those pets. And Absolutely, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Uh, oh, so okay. anything else? What else is, you know, what else? <laughs> well, what I would like to say is as someone whose life has been profoundly impacted by the second wound, it's been decades for me. It was a decades long process of trying to solve this, frankly. I hope that I can make that shorter for other people. Um, but I also want to say you can still have a good life. And I really mean that it might sound simple or trite, but I think people do need to know that, that there are people who I call them your people who will get it and really don't even need you to explain all the details. They'll just get it in their gut. Mm -hmm. And if you can just find a couple of those people and start to build a support system for yourself, take care of yourself, and live in your truth. Because, you know, this did happen to you. And whether you push it down and ignore it or not, it's going to affect you. So you might as well live in your truth. And I've chosen to do that. And neither road is easy. But it sure feels good to be authentic and be able to speak freely and have people in my life who care about me and are proud of me and want to listen. Yeah. It's not the people I thought it would be originally. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, except for my husband who's been with me every step of the way, who's, you know, the first person I disclosed to after I told my therapist. Um, and I do think also, a lot of people don't feel, sometimes they don't even know what happened to them until they're in a place where they're away from it and they're safe. Mm -hmm. And so for me, that was getting married and to a safe person and moving away from home. And um, he has definitely helped me get here. But um, that you really can still go on to be healthy and have a good life, I think is really important to share with people. And you know, continue to um, learn about it and learn about how, like you said, Kate, you're not alone and that this really is a phenomenon. And I actually say to people, you know, they'll tell me, well, now they these people made up stories about me, you know, they're getting smear campaigned and I'll say, well, I'm so sorry that's happening to you. And also it's so freaking unfair, but also like you're standing hand in hand with an army of incredibly brave, powerful people. And you're one of us. Welcome to this club. We're all getting it. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. So you're not alone. You're not powerless. Um, and we have each other and I hope that people will come to my website and follow, you know, my social media platform too, and maybe listen to the podcast because it's about trauma in general and its aftermath, but we do talk about this kind of thing quite a bit. And I did, if I can plug, I just interviewed the incredible Dr. Judith Herman, who wrote the book Trauma and Recovery and has a new book out. Um, And that was really like a a career moment for me. It was really exciting and wonderful. So um, there's a lot to learn through my resources, too. And I hope that people find it helpful. Absolutely. I know I definitely have found your your information helpful. Thank Um, you. Yeah. Like I said, it was really uh, a moment of just, oh my goodness, like this. Yes. To all of this. So mm-hmm. thank you for what you do. That's uh, yeah. It does kind of band us together and, and make it feel less crazy making. <laughs> I think it feels my, I, I think it feels like it, it seemed like I was the one person who was out here and all this was swirling around me of all the people who were saying I was crazy or lying or yeah exaggerating or whatever. And then I band together with other survivors who've experienced a second wound. And suddenly I'm part of another community mm-hmm. where we are the most powerful voice. Yes. In the- I love that. Yeah, definitely. Changes everything. Yeah. So yeah. true. Exactly. Yeah. Miranda, thank you so much again for being with us today. Thank you for what you're doing and for um, just being a a source of hope. (laughs) Thank you so much. That means so much to me to hear that, Kate. And I want to extend that back to the two of you too, to open this door onto what you've experienced, Kate, and Lori, Lori, you helping people to understand it. You know, it's such a hidden problem that is happening literally to people next door. So that's an incredible service you're doing. And I know it comes at a cost to you too. So I thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Stay tuned for our next episodes. Bye. If you or someone you know is stuck in a trafficking situation and needs help, please reach out to the National Human Trafficking Hotline by calling 1-888-373-7888 or text HELP, H-E-L-P, to two three three seven three three.